Hello and welcome to the Wagtails podcast. My name is Megan Corcoran and I'm the director of the Wagtail Institute. In this podcast, I invite some pretty cool people to come and have a conversation with me on all things trauma, healing, education and well-being. I started this podcast as I realized some of the biggest learning that has happened in my career has been through meeting really great people that are working in the field and having great conversations with them. In this episode, I am joined by the incredibly fierce, passionate and energetic principal, Perry Broadbent Hogan. Perry reminds us of the importance of play when working with traumatized young people and we go through the neurosequential model of therapeutics. Let's dive into the episode. All right, really excited. It's the fifth episode of The Wagtails. And she's already laughing. I know. I'm excited too. Um, so I'm really happy to introduce you to my fifth guest, Perry Broadbent Hogan. Hello, Megan. Megan. There you go. You actually said it. <laughs> Perry just promised me she wasn't going to call me that for I'll, this episode. I'll but... be good now, moving forward. All right, yeah. she's done it. I got st- out of my system. Yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> um, so Perry, so great to have you here. And we've Thank known each you. other for a few years now. Ever. We got to work alongside each other. We did. Australia's largest flexible learning centre. We did. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, could you introduce yourself to the listeners and talk about what you do and who you are? Sure. Um, I feel like that's the hardest question. It is. Uh, yeah, so I'm a teacher um, and I'm a teacher who spent my whole career in alternative education because I love it. I really just love it. I have such a passion for working with um you know, kids to make sure that everyone's barriers are removed and that they have access to education. It's um, the thing that I'm most passionate about and creating trauma-informed spaces because I just think that they are so incredibly healing. Um, yeah, and that they absolutely have the power to change people's lives. So I do that. So in that I've, um, yeah, I worked at uh, at, at uh, Old Ed uh, with Megan and then I moved to Tassie and I was the head of campus there for a few years, came back, was campus principal at the North Melbourne School for a few years um, and now I'm the principal at uh, McKillop Education. Well, I'm a co-principal, so I work part-time and share that role, which is really actually a really awesome experience to have, having done it by myself and then now doing it with someone. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah Perry, you're pretty incredible because you're one of the, like, the youngest uh, principals, <laughs> leaders that I've ever met as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I look, I actually think I look younger than I am as well, which I don't think helps. Yeah, it probably so, doesn't help. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Although when I first met, um, when I was talking to Sky, who I did the co-principal role with, she actually said to me, God, I thought you were a little older. So that was, I don't know if that's a compliment. It's not a compliment, I don't think. That's interesting because I feel like the way you lead and the way you hold yourself and the way you work, you can seem a lot older because you've just always got it. Thank you. Always got it together. (laughs) Thank you. That is a compliment. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I was very impressed as soon as we started working together, (laughs) just at like how fierce you were as a leader and how sure you were of your decisions and everything you were doing with the young people was always inspiring. Maybe maybe too fierce sometimes. Thank you. (laughs) But thank you. You're very welcome. (laughs) I mean, who are you outside of the working world as well? Oh, golly. That's an even harder question. Um, I look, I think everything I do, what I love so much about my job is I feel like it's so aligned with who I want to be as a person. Like I just, every day I go, I just want to leave the world a little bit better, hopefully than when I came into it and whatever I do, I just want to do it with kindness. Um, so I get to spend a lot of time. The reason I work part-time is because I have two beautiful children who are just like literally the most angelic humans on the earth. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> they are though. They are the most angelic humans on the earth. Um, so I get to spend lots of time with them. Um, lots of time with, yeah, friends. And I just, I'm a person that very much loves other people. So I just love to be around people and meeting people, connecting with people, doing whatever that is in whichever way um, in pretty much everything that I do. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into the trauma-informed education space? Like what yeah. led you there and why? Good. Such a good question. So when I was in uni, actually, when I was studying teaching, I was working at, no, I wasn't. I was volunteering at um, the VisiCares Hub in Sunshine, which is the co-located youth service. And I decided to start a homework club because I was really passionate about education and I was really passionate about people being able to stay in education. So I decided to start a homework club. Um, Sounds very cool. I know it was. It was so cool. I did it a couple of <laughs> afternoons a week. So I'd come from uni, do that. And I loved it. And that like really drove my passion, I think, for education and seeing how much of an impact it can have, even just through these small snippets of support with young people that really needed it. So I did that. Um, and then I think through that, I actually met um, someone who thought, then linked me in with residential care. Mm. Um, and I started doing education support in residential care. 
Uh, so it was really like one-to-one support for kids that, you know, no school would have. And this was actually before the old edge, um, that we worked at had opened. So there was nothing for these kids. And so I did that. And then this old ed opened, um, St. Joseph's and I got work there with this group of residential kids. So they'd sort of said, we're having these group of kids on site, um, in a class and we want you to come and support them. So I went there as, I guess, like an ES um, and supported them. And then St. Joseph's was like, come and work for us. So I did. I went into that and spent my whole career in alternative education because I just, I really loved it so much. And I love seeing the impact that those things could have. And when I reflect on it now, I think of all the things that I was doing in my classroom at the time that I was like, I don't know why I just feel like this is the right thing to mm-hmm. do, that now I have such an understanding as to why that was so important. And it was the simple things. Like I remember as a grad teacher, just feeling so strongly about like structure and consistency yeah. and being like, I don't care. Like they, we are going to start every day at the same time. Um, and we are going to have every lesson, you know, is going to be really clear, um, like really good learning intentions. And, but not really understanding why that stuff was so mm. important, but just feeling really strongly that that's what I had to hold on to. Um, and then sort of going from there and wanting to learn more about why and wanting to learn about how to best support these kids. And um, fortunately for me, uh, at the time, I'm not sure I would have said this, but fortunately for me, I got a really, really hard class first up, really hard. And that really set me up. That really mm. set me up for my career because that first year, it was a sort of make or break year. Um, and I learned a lot more than I have in any other year as a professional. I genuinely think having done like every role there is in alt ed now just about um really feel that being a teacher in a classroom is the most difficult role you can have yeah Um, yeah so much more difficult than a leadership role because that constant face-to-face contact and the stamina emotional stamina it takes to hold that space for those young people all day every day is so tough yeah um yeah so that year was wonderful and it really made me I think who I am as a professional um, because I had every barrier I possibly had pushed and yeah, it's where I really grew. And then that sort of really prompted me to go, I need to know as much as I possibly can. I am, I think most people who have ever interacted with me with for more than five <laughs> minutes would say a bit of a perfectionist. And so I just wanted to do it really well. I was yeah. really committed to knowing everything there was to know. And so then I went on this journey of trying to figure out everything there was to know. And so I did all this PD. I did my master's in student wellbeing. I went and did phase one and phase two in the neurosequential model of therapeutics, um, just in an effort to know as much as I possibly could about yeah. trauma yep. um, and to create amazing trauma-informed spaces for young people. Yep. Yeah. And I'm still doing that. That's what I'm still know. trying to do, learn every day. Yeah. So Perry, you've touched on the neurosequential model of therapeutics. Mm. There'll be a lot of people listening that will have no idea what that is. Yeah. I know. God, it's amazing. So the, it is amazing actually. Mm. It's essentially, I mean, I did it as professional development, um, but lots of people don't. It's, it's mostly taken up by, you know, therapeutic professionals. So psychologists, psychiatrists, allied health, but the neurosequential model of therapeutics is essentially a model that was founded by Dr. Bruce Perry and the Child Trauma Academy. And it's a biologically respectful approach to understanding and working with at-risk children. Um, and young people. So for me, it was a learning, a really good learning opportunity Mm. about trauma, how trauma impacts the body and the brain and everything we do. And so I did phase one thinking this will be so great. Um, I won't need to do phase two because phase two is train the trainer. I'm like, I won't have that skill set. And I just loved it so much. And then thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to really try. (laughs) And it was hard because when I did my phase two, um, you know, most people in my study group, in fact, all actually were health professionals. So mm-hmm. doctors, psychologists. And so I came in with a really good, like, base level understanding um, that I just didn't have as a teacher. Yeah, so I course. worked really hard, did so much extra reading, really pushed through that. Um, and it was, yeah, the most phenomenal learning experience for me. And it's been so uh, impactful in my practice, I think. Um, and how I interact with a young person every day. And I think that's what's really driven me to be so committed, no matter what other people might say to me at different times, in the way that I operate, because I know it's founded in research and evidence. And I like I, I really hold on to that now. I go, you know, I know this is the right way to go because there's so much research that shows I have a real understanding of why it's the right way to go. Um, yeah, so it's really formed me, I think, as a professional. So that's been great so now I use that in like everything that I do and I tell people anytime anyone will let me I'll tell them about it so I'm like this is remarkable everyone should do it anyone that works with a child who has experienced trauma should do this yeah so what what sort of things did you learn from that so I know Mm. like um obviously we both have the trauma-informed education passion yeah in common but um yeah really curious to see like what this really grounded for you and what 
what it is that makes you like you do every day based on the neurosequential model? Yeah. So I remember watching one of my videos in phase one and having this almost like, you know, revelation moment where it was one of the presentations that Bruce Perry had given. And it was actually for a foster carers conference in Western Australia. It was one of the few um, videos that were Australian based because most of the presentations he does are in the US. Yes. He's American. And I watched this video and he spoke about state dependent functioning, which um, is essentially, you know, the understanding that as we go from, you know, a calm state, internal state, the way that we're feeling our emotional regulation to increasing levels of stress, the various functions that are controlled by our brain shift. And the one that really got me was our functional IQ. Mm -hmm. And as we become more stressed, our functional IQ starts to decrease and our capacity to, you know, make decisions, to problem solve, to think creatively, to retain information, um, to have a sense of time, such an important one for teachers Mm. because we forget that, you know, when children walk into our spaces, if they're dysregulated and they don't have a good sense of time into the extended future, they can't set goals. And we ask them to set a goal every time they walk in. Yeah. And even how, you know, anxiety provoking it is going into a meeting, you know, like an SSG or um, any kind of meeting about their future, of course, they're going to feel stressed in that. And then we're asking them to set a future focused goal and their brain just doesn't have the functional capacity at that moment. So I remember learning about this and the reason it was such like a revelation for me is because that's every student. Mm -hmm. That's not just a young person impacted by trauma. Everyone operates on different internal states on any given day, Um, you know, children, young people, adults. And that impacts our functional IQ and our capacity to engage, you know, fully in the learning in front of us. And so I was like, oh my God, this is why this is so amazing because this is for every student in every classroom in the country. And, you know, how few educators would even know that this training exists. Um, and how I just, I remember thinking, I just have to do everything I can to make as many people possible know how important <laughs> it is to have regulating spaces. Yeah. Um, because not only is that good for their body, but it's good for their capacity to engage in learning and for their, you know, their brain's ability to actually do so at the best of their capacity. Yeah. So that for me was a real, yeah, that was the, probably the, the concept that he talks about that really stuck with me. And then mm. I, um, everything else I learned, and there are so many others, um, just it's so, they link so nicely. There's always a young person that you think of as you're learning yeah, about it. And you're like, this is them. Yeah, um, yeah. And as we all know, like our brains retain things when we feel there's real meaning to them. And everything I learned, I was like, this is meaningful because this is absolutely relating to the kids that I work with every yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is going to make me a better professional and able to support them better. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so I just loved it. And I love that now. So anyone, literally anyone that will listen, I'll be like, but the functional IQ, you know, we need to support their functional IQ to improve them. To do that, we need regulating spaces. Yeah. That's so funny because I remember being at this workshop, an educator's workshop a few weeks ago, and I was talking about how important trauma-informed practice is for educators and how I think, you know, my opinion is that all pre-service teachers should have access to that. Mm. And they were like, well, trauma doesn't impact everyone. So why should we do it? And my first response was, well, I mean, Australian research would show that 72% of children, adolescents in Australia have experienced an adverse childhood experience. Um, So that's every school. I mean, it's pretty safe to say that that is pretty much every school. 72% is really high. But then second to that, and this is what I kept saying to him, and he's just looking at me like you're a crazy (laughs) person. I was like, but it doesn't matter because trauma-informed practice is good for everyone. Because everybody, no matter who delivers it, no matter what they're delivering, the whole like focus of trauma-informed practice is creating regulating spaces and how people deliver that training, you know, the strategies they use are all different and there are so many different providers, but that's the focus is mm-hmm. we want to create regulating spaces. 100%. And it's the regulating spaces that then allow every child to be able to access, you know, their functional IQ at its maximum and yeah, to have not yeah. have that diminished. And why wouldn't we want to do that for every single kid? Yeah, 100%. I always find it so interesting as well when you're talking to people about that, like like this guy, for example, even that you're talking about. <laughs> it's like even as adults, we need to know how to regulate and we like 100%. often neglect that. And we just think, oh, we just got to teach traumatized kids how to regulate and that's it. Yeah. And it's like, we still get dysregulated or get like senses of, you know, not being as regulated as we want to be as adults as well. 100%. Yeah. And we don't like, it's funny because whenever I run training, that's the thing that I say, like nothing else matters if we can't regulate ourselves. Exactly. Um, And I see you post so much about it and I just think it's so, (laughs) it is, it's so important. Like if we can't co-regulate um, with children, then, you know, what, what are we doing? Cause we need that yeah. connection is how we, is how we regulate. It's how we heal. Exactly. Um, you know, I think 
I think connection is really the answer for so many mm. things. And yeah, to do that, we need to be regulated ourselves. Yeah. You, you cannot possibly, it is impossible to regulate someone if you are dysregulated. 100%. Um, and we don't have... We don't have that, I think, enough awareness as educators around what that looks like or even feels like in our body Yeah. Um, yep. when we start to feel dysregulated or start to feel stressed yep. and the impact that then has on our classrooms. Exactly. Um, and we can't expect kids to know that stuff if we're not acknowledging it no. in our own body as well. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I would love, look, I would just love for every <laughs> school, every school to be trauma-informed. Yeah. Um, because, and it's actually funny, I was saying this to a colleague the other day, and they're like, oh, Perry, if I didn't know you, I'd almost say that you weren't for, like, alt-ed, even though I spent my whole career in alternative education. Mm. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm not. Mm. I actually I actually think every single kid should be able to access mainstream schooling. And yep. it's not, it absolutely is not the fault of the mainstream school. They're not resourced the same and they're not trained the same yep. as a lot of our alt-ed providers. But... I, I would like to create a world, <laughs> this is my dream, a world where every single young person can engage in their mainstream schooling because there is a lot that's lost by moving to an old ed setting. 100%. Um, you know, they don't feel they're normal anymore. They feel like they need something different. Um, I think their sense of self and their self-worth is, you know, really impacted. And that's on us, you know, as mm. educators and as an educational system, we're not providing spaces that allow all children. And when you're looking at that statistic, 72% of kids that have an adverse childhood experience, that's an enormous amount of kids within our education system that need trauma-informed strategies. Yeah. Um, but we're not supporting educators to have those. So no, no. I'd, I'd love for all educators to have that. And then for all schools to be really trauma-informed, negating the need for altered schools in the first place. 100%. It's so ironic. Like I got booked recently to run a session on inclusive education yeah and I thought it was really I dived into research and the more I was diving into it I was like I used to work in segregated education mm. as much as we would say our environments were so inclusive for our young people yeah we'd segregated them from the mainstream community yeah um, and so I had to really own that in the training as well and just be like well real inclusive education is where everyone is a, is welcome to show up yeah for who they are and be themselves and supported correctly in that community yeah whereas like we weren't necessarily an inclusive education community either because we absolutely would not want a young person to enroll who should be at a mainstream school as That's well. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, so it was like a kind of this ironic moment where I was like, we were always so inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> but the real term and the real idea of inclusive education is that everyone can be in the same space and support it appropriately. Yeah, which is hard. I mean, it's hard for so many reasons because every child is so different and the way they learn is so different. But, you know, I don't think there would be a single person, a single educator who wouldn't say like there are real challenges in our educational environment at the moment. And I think a huge mm. part of that is, you know, the number of challenging behaviours. We hear, I hear so much of that narrative at the moment um, or the number of kids that are disengaging. So that's a core group of kids whose needs aren't being met. Yeah, exactly. Um, and unless we do something to change that, then we're going to continue to see this really high, you know, rate of kids that are not engaged in school, that are needing to go to other settings. And the reality is old ed settings are still small and they're mm -hmm. definitely not catering to all the kids out there that need something else right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and the best bet we have is to, you know, upskill our other school environments that are catered to large numbers um, and try and create spaces that are really trauma-informed for them and allow them to retain that. Like I just, I think about it a lot and I do think, just this, this sense of belonging as well and feeling mm. that you are a part of a community that wants you and that, you know, that can support you without feeling like, you know, this whole space is needed to be created for you because your needs are so different yeah. that they can't be catered for yeah, in the for environment sure. that caters for everyone else. Yeah. Um, and what an impact that would have on a child's, you know, well-being and their sense of self. Yeah. Um, yeah. And their self-efficacy. Yeah. Because that, yeah, I mean, I just think that would be so hard to sort of process that and not understand how to label the emotions that are experienced mm. as a result of that as well yeah um and i know it's something we've spoken about a lot before it's just the need for that belonging that yeah. community yeah. um and i think we forget sometimes that by sheer virtue of enrolling in an alt ed school it's an acknowledgement that you haven't been able to belong mm, absolutely, um, in a yeah. community that supports most students too yeah, yeah yeah and then we do everything we can to ensure that they could belong at our schools yeah but then ultimately we also know that a lot of other spaces in the community aren't going to wrap around them the same way yeah yeah and that's so hard yeah because we look at them so differently i mean yeah. we, we look at, and we've had so many conversations <laughs> about so many different young people yeah and the way that we view it is so different to so many other people and i don't think that's because people don't care no they just don't it's, understand they don't understand yeah. they haven't been given the skills to see you know 
the choices, the actions that they're making in a different way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because if you and I were talking about it, we'd be like, well, it's not a choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, their brains are dictating the way that they act and, and their brains are not in their thinking brain. Mm. Um, and still seeing them with this real unconditional positive regard, which is hard to, I think is so hard to hold if you don't understand the reason If you don't understand, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But as soon as you do understand, it's almost impossible not to have unconditional yeah. positive regard. Yeah. 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 So look, maybe one day, <laughs> maybe one day there'll be this world yeah, where yeah. everyone, every single educator that comes into a school has been trained, you know, in university or before they mm. finish their qualification, whatever that looks like in trauma-informed practice. Because I just think it would make such an impact yeah. on their ability to engage every kid. Oh, for sure. And then in. even if you just think about what the curriculum would look like in a classroom as mm. well. So if every student was learning about regulation and dysregulation, then if a young person is having a challenge, their peers would understand that they're dysregulated Yeah, that's as true. Well, and they're learning about it. And then society can actually then move forward as well because those young people will grow up and work in spaces where they know about regulation, dysregulation and how to support each other as well. It's so, yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's really, it's so interesting to watch because at the school I'm at now, we do primary and secondary. Mm. Even some of our primary kids you know, in, in some ways I find it a bit disheartening, but they'll be able to go, in some ways it's amazing. They'll be able to go, oh yeah, like he was really in the red that day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they would say, yeah, he's, he's it, when I come into something, you know, I've been called, say, to an incident and I see another kid along the way, they'll be like, yeah, he's really in the red. He's really, <laughs> really in the red today, Perry. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, okay. But they have this real understanding of yeah. like what that looks like and that they don't mean the things that they say when they're in red. Um yeah, which is not I don't I don't think that would be normal at another primary school. Yeah, probably not. And that's the thing, it gives you that shared language and that shared understanding yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, and they just yeah. oh god, they're the most remarkable kids. Yeah. So I just and it, it does, it makes me a little sad sometimes to think that, you know, they do they, they sort of do feel quite excluded from this mm. you know, community that they do so desperately want to be a part of. They do. So desperately. I mean, I don't think I've ever met a kid that's come in um and not had some desire to succeed in mainstream. Yeah, that's true. Um, like it's a pretty consistent response. There's obviously the odd ones who just go, look, that pathway wasn't for me, but that's not the norm. The norm are the kids that come in and, you know, do express at some point during their journey with us mm. that they would have really liked to succeed in mainstream um, or would like to go back to mainstream. Yeah, for um, sure. And whether that's right or wrong is not the point. The point is that that's, you know, that's their how they feel. And it's really sad that they're in this reality where it's not possible for them yeah. through no fault of their own. Just through Yeah, so they've definitely experienced that huge rejection. Huge rejection. Yeah. 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 Um, and that just breaks my heart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Into tiny little pieces. <laughs> I know. Carrie, you're, you're like, you're this really interesting person in the field, I think, because you have, you're like a fierce advocate for these young people. <laughs> You have so much knowledge and experience and you're always so like driven and energetic, but then you're so sensitive about it as well. <laughs> like I feel like for some of the rest of us, we're like, you know, a little bit tougher, a bit harder. <laughs> but I always like, you're always the sensitive one, but still like showing up every day, still so energetic. Like it's not yeah. disheartening you. Like no. to see. <laughs> no, sometimes the kid, kids ask me about that. And I'm like, I think I was born with an excess of endorphins. I don't know what's happened in my body, but because <laughs> they're like, why? Why do you look like this every yeah. day? Like, why do you present like this every day? I'm like, it's just who I am. I was almost going to bring this up because, like, you don't even drink coffee. I'm assuming you still don't no, drink coffee. No, I don't. Yeah, Never like, had you're one coffee. of these strange people where you've got like two <coughs> two young kids. You probably don't sleep as much as a normal no, person. I do not Megan. <laughs> you don't drink coffee. Yet no. somehow you were like the most energetic person on campus every day. Yeah, I honestly don't know. Um, yeah, I've never, ever had coffee. And actually, people often say to me, don't ever have coffee. Yeah, I don't want to see you no, have coffee. <laughs> people, people who've worked with me are like, we do not need this in our life. Like, you are too much now. Yeah. But I don't know what it is. I, I Like, this is going to sound so freaking corny. <laughs> but I really do. I just, the sheer joy that being in those environments and supporting those young people brings me, mm. like, elicits that response in me. And it sounds so ridiculous. We have this one kid actually... Um, in primary every day who he rocks up and I, I say to him, you know, good morning. And before I even get to the next line, he goes to me, do not tell me it's a beautiful day to be here, Harry. <laughs> and I say, it is a beautiful day to be here. And he'll be like, look at the weather. It is not a beautiful day to be here. Like he's so black and white. And I say, it's a beautiful day to be here because you're here. And he just looks at me and he rolls his eyes <laughs> and he walks inside and he's like, don't talk to me. But then the one morning I'm not there, he's like, where is Perry today? Yeah. Why isn't she telling me it's a beautiful day? And it, it is that, like, I really, 
really do think just the fact that they've made the choice. And when you have this great understanding of trauma-informed practice, you can have these like amazing moments where you've like, you have overcome so many Mm. barriers just to get here today. Like the incredible resilience you have shown to wake up, to walk through the anxiety that you are absolutely feeling to come into a school environment. Um, you know, to have the courage to give something you a go by saying, I'm going to learn by going into an environment where, you know, there's lots of different relational interactions that will be hard and challenging that you'll have to manage, um, through peers, through adults. And to still make that choice to show up is just the bravest choice you can make. Yeah. And then if you add to all of that, the fact that because we are all ed, they have been excluded from another setting. Mm. Um, so they're coming in already with this notion that, you know, school isn't for them or that they're not good enough or whatever that is. And they're still there. I just think, God, they are amazing. And whenever, you know, when you do those things where people are like, tell us, like, why you do this work. And for me, it really is every day I just feel amazed. I look at them and I'm like, you are just remarkable humans. Yeah. Um, with so, so much resilience and stamina. Mm. So I just, yeah, I think that that just brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> At one point, they actually wanted to tell me that I wasn't allowed to welcome the primary students anymore because I was literally too much. They're like, you can't. Every time a primary kid comes in, you can't just sit there and squeal, Perry. Like, that's not okay. And I'm sitting there, like, shaking from excitement, which is not regulating. I know no, that. No, it's really no, not regulating. It's not at all. And so we, we talk a lot about how I need to work on my own regulation strategies yeah. in the morning when I'm just, like, overwhelmed with excitement for seeing them. Yeah. And these little kids are just like, oh, my God, what is wrong with her? And these tiny little, like, seven-year-olds year olds who are looking at me and I'm like ah, you're here you're here at school and they're like get her out like get her out of my face. <laughs> and actually just before we started the podcast today we were talking about one kid that we've both worked with in the past who gave me rules of how I was allowed to interact mm-hmm. with him because I was too much yeah. so it would be like it'd be like you must talk to me in a monotone there is no excitement in your voice and it took every ounce of energy I had to present and be like hello how are you today <laughs> <laughs> he would say to me good job Perry <laughs> off you go now yeah and that's because that's not my natural state. <laughs> it's so interesting because um, I recently did an episode with Graham Baird, who I know yeah. you've worked with as yeah. well. And Graham and I were actually exchanging um, how we used to trigger young people based on our own <laughs> facial expressions or whatever it might be. So yeah. for him, when he first started in the field, he got feedback that he looked too angry. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I was saying I looked yeah. too happy. Like young people used to, when I first started, young people would actually like yell at me when they were triggered, being like, why are you fucking smiling? <laughs> um, but you're like the next level. Like if you had young people sort of have that that interaction with you as well if they've ever been triggered or dysregulated (laughs) that you're maybe a little bit too happy (laughs) it's it's really funny I actually have this I'll never forget it we had this day when I was in Tassie when I was the head of campus for our Tassie school we had this kid a beautiful young man and he came in one day he was having a bit of a rough one and he had like a um like plastic container of like gasoline or petrol or something. He decided he was going to light us on fire. I'm not sure. But he was like pouring it over things. And so, you know, I'm talking to him and I've got the bus ready and I'm like, come on, mate, like I'll give you a lift home. This isn't your day. Like we're not making safe choices. Yeah. Come on. And um, I remember, I'll never forget, he just storms up to me and he's got his, his big thing of whatever was in his bottle, something that lit on fire real quick. And he looks at me and he goes, why the F are you always smiling? Okay, there you go. And I was like, I don't know, I can't help it. It's just my state. Yeah. He's like, why? I was like, it's just how I am. And actually, even just last week, it was very funny. We had these kids at the school I'm currently at who they'd found these boxes and boxes and boxes of face masks and they were pulling them out and just throwing them everywhere just because they could and they thought it was hilarious. So throwing them all over our multi-purpose room and we're like, Perry, we're just going to push you until you snap. <laughs> and I'm like, boys, I had to break it to you, but I don't snap. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, everyone snaps, everyone gets angry at us. So we're just going to push you until it happens, which is, of course, a very natural response for kids yeah, of experience course. trauma. But I was like, yeah, cool, do I? So I just sat there for like an hour as they like piffed these face masks everywhere and destroyed the room. And at the end, they just look at me and they're like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you still sitting here like this? And they're like, what are you going to say to us now? And I said, I'm just going to tell you you have to clean it up. And they're like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you made the mess. So now you've got to clean it up. And they were like, okay. (laughs) And they just sort of did that. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I just, I I love those moments because it's just a constant reminder of how Mm. important it is for them to know, like to trust that you're going to still present in the same way yeah for every sure. time and how much of an impact that has on their you know understanding of relational interactions yeah. and of adults in their life yeah that can be safe absolutely and consistent 
Yeah, I've often talked to like people that are new in the field about this. Mm. That you've just got to sometimes sit through that discomfort and be like, I put up a boundary. <laughs> yeah. That's my boundary, and I now I'm going to sit in the discomfort of just waiting it out. Yeah, of being like, that's I'm not going to crack, so I'm just going to wait this out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what else are I going to do? I'm going to sit there and be like, don't throw the masks. Of course they're going to throw the masks. Exactly. The more I told them not to throw the masks, the more they're going to throw the masks. Yeah. So I just yep. had to sit there and watch them. Yeah. Um, and then it, it took about because <laughs> everyone at school was like, come on, Barry, we need this space back, and it took us about three days to get cleaned up because I was like, we will not do it for them we will absolutely not do it for them they will come in every day and they will clean up the space and they did yeah. we sat there with them and they cleaned up all of the face masks oh good oh no good on them hey yeah well done <laughs> i know they really deserved a gold star after that one because <laughs> it was actually a really big job it was like thousands of face masks that they found in this back storage room that i didn't even know was there so lesson for perry don't take them into a space unless you've actually checked what's in the surrounding spaces <laughs> yeah <laughs> And hopefully not like dozens and dozens of boxes that then include dozens and dozens of boxes of face masks. <laughs> At least they packed them all back up. And they were still in their individually wrapped plastic. So oh, usable. very good. Oh, yeah. I was going right. to say that's a big waste of, you know, No, no, no. They just well. pulled them all out of the boxes, but they were all individually wrapped. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Win for me. Good fun. <laughs> so, Perry, I know before you are talking about the neurosequential model mm. and I was, I remember we were working alongside each other when you were in the program. Yeah. And I remember you were going to start looking at like some of the brain mapping and like piecing together stories to sort of understand what that impact on the brain might have looked like. Yeah. I've got one memory of like there was a young person. I don't know if you're going to remember who I'm talking about. I'm like obviously not going to identify him. (laughs) But there was a young person who would not sit still ever and was always making really um, challenging social decisions. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He was young though. So he was in like our young program. He was a young kid. Blonde. Um, always, yeah, just like he'd mouth off at people and not realize the consequence of that. <laughs> oh yeah, I do. Yeah, and they're like he never sat still. And then there was one day where yeah. we'd put on a um a music like concert for anyone who'd been in the music program. Yeah. And he drummed for like fifty minutes straight. Like yeah. he legit did exactly not move. And he drummed for fifty minutes. Like we like timed yeah. it because I was like, oh my god, this kid is like we've found the thing. Yeah. Like he actually can regulate himself and yeah. get in flow state and yeah. like fully engage in this thing. And it was drumming. Yeah. And then from that moment on, you're like, we need, <laughs> we need an electronic drum kit in his classroom for yeah. him to regulate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of that was coming from like obviously you know our understanding of regulation. But yeah. you were talking also about sort of the developmental stage that his trauma might have occurred at and all yeah. of that based on your learning. Yeah. So I wonder if you want to like talk about some of that a little bit more too. That was so interesting for it me. It was very interesting. That was fascinating that day. So I didn't think there was anything that could make that kid stop No. Yeah. yeah, I think we all thought that. Yeah. Um, yeah, God, that was that was amazing. And we did get an electric drum kit for his classroom. We did. And it we was did. awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I started ordering them for other classrooms because I was like, this is great. We should have this in every room. Um, but yes, I remember when I was when I was studying phase two of NMT, one of the best things I learned was that, you know, this exact same trauma can happen, but the age at which it happens has such a different impact on how it then impacts your capacity moving forward. And the reasoning behind that was that because, um, God, Bruce Perry's amazing. Every time I talk about it, I'm like, oh, <laughs> you are amazing. Um, is that... So as we all know, I think most people sort of have, you know, some understanding of the brain and the different areas of our brain develops at different ages and at different rates. And um, whatever age we are at when we experience the trauma, the region of the brain that's developing the quickest at that time will be most impacted. Mm. So, you know, in our younger years, it'll be the more the lower regions of our brain that are impacted because the brain develops bottom up. Yeah. Um, And so then that'll have an impact on the functions that are controlled by those regions of the brain. And so it's so interesting when you think about it because, you know, even the difference of a few months can make such such a huge impact on then the capacities, the functional capacities that are impacted when they're a lot older. Um, And as, you know, Bruce Perry talks about a lot, the moment sort of, especially the lower regions of the brain impacted, it's all connected. It's like a map. So then it impacts the development of the regions on top of that in really different ways. Um, and I just found that so fascinating to sort of gain an understanding of mm. um, and how, yeah, even just this small changes in age can really impact, even if it is the exact same trauma um, experience. Although, I, you know, I would certainly argue that no trauma experience is the same, even if it's the same sort of behavior. Yeah, for sure. Never be the same because there's so much contextual. But that was so interesting learning about that and then looking at that as I was doing, um, yeah, you know, like the, the mapping on, on different kids that, that we worked with and just seeing that, like seeing mm. their brain um, 
as I got these results was just so fascinating and really allowing us to like target specific interventions Mm. that really supported the development of that area of the brain that had been most impacted. Yeah. And how much of an impact it can have just knowing, like knowing what tiny little area was most impacted and how we can create therapeutic strategies to support them to regulate and support them to heal. Yeah, Um, it's amazing. And something I actually read, and I love this because I am such an advocate of play, such a big advocate yeah that's one of my first memories of you actually was (laughs) yeah you ran like a session on um the importance of play for the staff yeah I love play so much and actually I honestly I think the best compliment I've ever received in my entire career was a few weeks ago one of our primary kids said to me I've never met a principal that plays as much as you I love that I love (laughs) that you are the best yeah um but I do love it I love to play every single day I go and play with them and one of the best things I read in a book, and I would have to find which one it was an edited book, and it said that, you know, play has the capacity to heal mm. because if you um, engage in play that's appropriate to the age at which trauma was experienced, it can actually help you to rebuild a lot yeah. of those social emotional capacities that were inhibited as a result of the trauma. Because whenever we experience trauma, our um, all of our energy, all of our body systems go towards survival. Mm. And so it really prioritizes those skills that needed in that moment. So, you know, really quick responses, um, really good protective mechanisms, but it means that we don't then develop all the other things that are not prioritized in a fight, flight or freeze response. So, you know, those things like making decisions, like problem solving, like anticipating consequences, which is such a big one, Mm. because especially for our kids, like the ability to know what's going to happen when you make a choice Mm. is so inhibited Mm -hmm. Um, and you have to be really clear with them, which is why I talk about natural consequences so much. You have to really explain to them if you aren't able to do this or if you make this choice, this is what will happen. Um, And so I love thinking about how play can support them to develop those skills that were really inhibited. And also, I think it's just so connecting. Like it just allows you to engage with another human being in a way that feels safe. Yeah. And the opportunities that a lot of our kids have had to engage with another human in a way that feels safe is in itself sometimes really limited. Yeah, for sure. And so to just sit, you know, like just to sit with someone and to play Lego, like even if you're doing it individually, to feel safe in the presence of another adult because you're being regulated by the play activity and there's another adult there is such a powerful experience because that's another micro moment, another experience of positive relational engagement that's building on their template, Mm. that's allowing them to go, okay, maybe there are other times when adults can be safe and they can be healing Mm. um, and they can be supportive. And I just love that. And what I found most interesting as well is, so I love, my office is just filled with play activities. It always was. Always. Like I'll have kinetic <laughs> sand and I'll have Lego and I'll have plus plus and I'll have my fidget toys and my cushions with my sequins. And I love them. They're just as much for me as for everyone else. And genuinely, they were just as used, honestly, if not more, by staff. Yeah. Staff I always played with something when I came into <laughs> office. Sometimes because I was like, am I in trouble? <laughs> kinetic sand. Everyone loves the kinetic sand. Well, you have bad news to tell me. You'd be like, Megan, I'm so sorry. I'm like, we need to have a hard conversation. Megan, in trouble <laughs> definitely maybe bad news I don't know but there's often bad news yeah there was yeah. a, a bit of bad, bad news in our line of work yeah. yeah yeah but that's it's so regulating for everyone play is not especially when you're looking at secondary old ed spaces we do not emphasize mm. enough the importance mm. of play and secondary schools you know by virtue of their sort of creation don't have a lot of play equipment yeah no um classrooms don't have a lot of equipment in secondary no. schools they're pretty bare bones and we forget that i mean it's so important obviously for actually providing opportunity to heal the trauma but also because often kids that come to alt ed in secondary have missed enormous amounts of primary schooling yeah so trauma aside they've missed all of those sort of important milestones you get through play yeah and just the joy that comes with engaging in play because they have missed out on so much primary schooling yeah and that's where so many kids learn to play yeah. So I used to love creating any opportunity to just mm. play and to just, you know, feel joy in that and genuine joy and connection. It's just more connection, more positive connection. Yeah. And, you know, if anything is going to change the tra- trajectory of a young person's life, it is positive connection. Yeah. yeah. So the more we can create that and embed that. Yeah, I'm such, such a big fan. So that's something that also, it's a good example of one of those things that I'd read and then I did NMT and I was like, this is why, this is why, because I had mm. this really good understanding then of why the age at which trauma is experienced, how trauma specifically impacts the development because of the sequential development of the brain, because of the, you know, very changing rates at which different regions of the brain develop. And then having this really good understanding of why that was true. And then knowing wholeheartedly that that was important, no matter what anyone said to me, I'd be like, we will play. We will play today. And it is important that we play today. Yeah. And also for myself, like we spoke about, you know, it's so important to regulate 
ourselves as professionals. And I genuinely know that play is important for me in my mm-hmm. regulation. And so it is an absolute priority of mine every day to engage in some kind of play with the kids because I love it and it regulates me. And I am genuinely one of those, I guess, I think odd people that feels totally regulated by being in the presence of the kids because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. So I don't I, like when I'm having a bad day, my natural response is to go and sit in, sit in the office. My natural response is to go, okay, I'm having a rough day. Um, I'm not feeling it today. I need to go spend time with kids because yeah. that's yeah. what's going to energize me. Yeah. Um, and I do that through play, whatever yeah, that is, because yeah. it's the best. <laughs> yeah. And they just um, like how they engage in that and just watching them is just so fun as well. And just watching the joy it brings them is, yeah. Yeah. next level yeah no we're both weird like that I remember like <laughs> distinctly like going through a, like a pretty significant personal time in my yeah. life and I was teaching at the time like I've always been an alternative ed like you as well like never mainstream um but I remember just like getting to work one day and just being like I'm so low yeah. and as soon as I started teaching it was just like I got in like a like just an elevated state and the kids yeah. just brought me so much joy to be around so and I ended joy. that day just being like oh my god like they have no idea no idea <laughs> no idea yeah and we don't like I think you know, to truly appreciate how important this work is, you have to come to work and go, I know how lucky I am mm. to be in their lives. And I know how lucky I am to be given the opportunity to walk alongside them, to experience this educational journey with them. Um, because it is a privilege. It is an absolute privilege. Yeah. I think when you yeah. appreciate that and understand what that means to them, like that small choice that they make in that moment to let you engage with them mm. is actually a massive choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to do that and to know how important that is, I think that in itself brings so much energy and joy. Yeah. And to know that they've, yeah, they've made that choice in that day to engage with you. Yeah, yeah. Remarkable. Even if it's not in a way that we would expect. I mean, sometimes engaging with us looks like just swearing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's okay. Like, that's fine too. Because that's still a hard choice. Like, to make a choice to actually even talk to someone on any given day can be pretty tough at times. So, I'm like, great. (laughs) I don't mind. I've just been called everything under the sun. It's awesome. (laughs) They've spoken to me. Oh, <laughs> I know. So work on boundaries. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. Yeah. I don't know that there's much that anyone could call me that I haven't been called before. Yeah, so. that's the thing, right? Nothing, <laughs> nothing really shocks you in this work anymore. No, definitely not. Someone said something to the other day, actually. They're like, I bet you've never been heard anything that bad before. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I definitely have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's nice that you think that's the worst. <laughs> I'll hold on to it. And I'll, let, I'll let you think that. Yeah, yeah, don't let them know what the other options were. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> so, Perry, before we started recording as well, we were mm. talking about how a lot of people that have had experience in the field or quite knowledgeable in the field are leaving or are doing other things yeah. now as well. Yeah. Um, and you just seem to still just have so much energy. Like, I'm not saying <laughs> people don't have energy for it, but people do seem to have, I guess, like a short-term stint in these fields as well. Like, what yeah. is it for you that creates that longevity? And do you see it as like a longevity thing for you? You know what, I think um, something that we used to speak about when we worked together, and I used to talk a lot to our leadership team about this, Mm. was our core values. Yeah. And, you know, that we need to be connected with those core values in the things that we do. And like I sort of said at the beginning, I think that as a, as a human, the way that I try and live my life, I think is certainly aligned with the work that I'm, you know, lucky enough to do. And I think that's a really big part of it because whenever I feel like I'm having a day where I'm losing energy for it or anything like that, I just go back to, but... You know, it's really important to me that I wake up every day and I I do something impactful and I do something that I know is going to make someone's day better. Um, And I do something that's going to, in some small way, hopefully make a difference to someone's life. And I think also for me, you know, I I love being a mum, love being a mum. And I want, I really want to feel that when I make the choice, you know, to leave my kids during the day to go to work, that that is because there's a really clear intention behind it. Mm. And there's, because I'm doing something, you know, really important and and worthwhile for me. I mean, that's different for everybody. This is what feels important and worthwhile to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, And that, that's exactly what it is. The work that I do is that. So I think, you know, I, I am lucky enough to continue to make that choice because I still feel invigorated by it. I still feel like it very much aligns with my core values. Um, and I think that's really important and that's what sort of kept me because, yeah, whenever I go back to it, I go, no, this is really what drives me and it's at, at my core who I am mm. um, is someone that wants to feel like, you know, at times that that involves challenging the status quo or whatever that is, but constantly striving for the best possible outcomes for these young people who so deserve it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I just feel really grateful, honestly, really grateful that I've sort of found a profession that lets me do that. Yeah, um, yeah That I love, that I can do, that I'm, you know, privileged enough to live in a country that allows me to do that, all those things. 
Um, yeah. And so I still get up every day being like, I get to do something that hundred percent aligns with who I am, aligns with my core values, something that I really enjoy. Plus I do get to play every day. Who doesn't want to go to work and play every day? Like I'm doing Lego at work. Who else is doing that? Probably only people that work at Lego. So I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I am very lucky. Yeah. And I think we were similar in the way that, um, if we were ever frustrated or down about the work, it was never about the young people and it was only ever about the system. Yeah. Always about the system. Yeah. 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 So that's like the one thing I think that can send people out the door. So you seem to have like some sort of like, I don't know, I guess, resilience around the system. Sometimes I think I just go a little bit too rogue. And (laughs) maybe that's sometimes what energizes me as well is I go, I just have this like determination to make things better. Mm. And sometimes maybe that's naive. Like I think lots of people would say it's naive and the way I approach Mm. it is naive. Um, But I again maybe I'm too optimistic I just go no I genuinely feel that if I believe it enough and if I push for it then change is possible and change can happen and I also do find that really energizing so when I'm feeling really stuck by the system um I'll often push against that <laughs> and sometimes not everyone loves it <laughs> and I get it like I do get it but I I also I feel a real sense of um like intention behind that as well is being like you know if the system isn't working then i'm gonna do everything i can to make the system work for the for the kids that we work with and that's a really cool place to be as well to be in a position where i can like i'm in a position where you know people listen sometimes not always sometimes um to that and that's a really cool place to be as well so these are my reflections this is what i think is important let's talk about how it's possible and i don't actually just want to accept that this is how it is yeah yeah um and i like being able to do that like being able to go, no, let's think of new ways to do this. Let's be really innovative and let's find creative ways to engage this, you know, remarkable cohort of kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what I think I meant before about you being a fierce leader as well. It's like <laughs> sometimes it'd be like, we'd come up with like, we're like, Hey, we've got this problem, you know? And then the next morning you'd be like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do. And it'd be like, we're reshaping the whole school in the next 20 minutes. Fierce, rogue, fierce, rogue. No, it could be either. Yeah, I know. Pretty, pretty crazy yeah. stuff. But you know what I'm really, really grateful for is I've also, because I do do that. Sometimes I have these crazy ideas where I'm like, yes, we're going to do it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I've been lucky enough to work with, I think, really brave and really um, incredible practitioners like you who've been able to say to me, actually, Barry, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> no, we actually can't do that. That doesn't make sense. And that's such a cool thing to have. I think because there are lots of people that wouldn't like if your boss came in we're like you're doing this lots of people wouldn't stand up and be like no Perry that is not gonna work yeah um but I hope that I create you know teams that do continue to do that and I've been lucky enough to be in teams that have yeah um and I that's something that I remember we used to always talk about a lot is that one of the things I loved about working with you and I always said this to you was how honest you were with me and how much you reflected back to me and I loved that. I loved that someone was able to say, yeah, this was great. This was not so great. Like, because it is hard. It's hard it's to say so that hard. to your boss. And because you also, when we first started working together, you're like, so I want you to give me feedback, but I've really got issues around receiving feedback. <laughs> yeah. And you were like really honest about that, which was yeah. great. But like, you were like, really like, I want you to give me feedback, but here's how I've reacted in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of honesty, but that's right. Like I've, yeah. I, when I first started my career, I found feedback really hard. Mm. And so because I am such a perfectionist, I was like, I'm going to do everything I can to be good at getting feedback yeah and part of that was yes as a leader anyone that I have um that I have managed I've said to them every single time we meet I want you to bring feedback for me um and I'm going to work on accepting that really well and you know what and because I I think I'm really honest and open about what my flaws are my areas Mm. for growth and what I feel really proud about is I think that that's one that I do well now like I think people give me feedback and I'm like yeah cool okay I can make that better and I really seek it out yeah I'll ask anyone (laughs) for feedback literally and I'll be like tell me what can I do better yeah because I'm so driven to you know to provide the best for young people and to be the best possible professional and leader that I can be and I know that's the only way to get there yeah so so, yeah, and I think that is a big part because I have been lucky enough to work with teams who have been really honest with me and be like, geez, Perry, <laughs> okay, what happened last night? Like, <laughs> I don't know what's happening in your brain, but that's not okay. <laughs> so that's wonderful. And that is something that you have always done for me. So oh, I think that's I'm same. glad to help Perry. Yeah. <laughs> that's on your journey to be. <laughs> that, that's kept my rogueness slightly less rogue. <laughs> It's got me more in line with the reality as well. And that's what I mean. I think sometimes people do say that's naive. It's a naive view. And I think I just constantly have this view that, you know, if we can dream it, then it can happen. Yeah. And like you dream it overnight, you want it to happen the next morning. (laughs) Yeah. And 
that you know what that's actually really that's that's a good piece of feedback that I have had to accept is I do do things really quickly yeah and I always remind myself of that it needs to be slow and it needs to be proactive and not reactive yeah um, you just remind me of one of yeah one of the other feedbacks I get quite a bit which is really good for me <laughs> it's humbling <laughs> so Perry, we're getting close to the end of our time together and I know we're even, for those listening at home, we're actually recording this quite late. We are. Yeah. We are. We did everything we could Mom. to get Perry in this studio. <laughs> Mum life and work life. <laughs> so to end each um, podcast, I ask like the guests the same five questions. Mm, I'm intrigued. And you have to just go with your gut answer. So try not to like overthink it. Oh, golly, um, Okay. Yeah. Just like gut answer if you can. All right. <laughs> um, I everything, everything. And it's just like kind of like quick fire, like just, you know, just short answers. Okay. So first question, mm-hmm. what did you want to be when you were a kid? Oh, I actually wanted to be a marine biologist. <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know. I actually don't know. I just remember in primary school, I was really fixated on being a marine biologist. I loved the idea of working with dolphins. And I just really, really wanted to like swim with a dolphin every day. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I know. This is what I mean. Dream big. I just thought that being a marine biologist was like you would swim with a dolphin every day. Yeah. yeah but it's that play factor. A hundred percent. Love a bit yeah. of play. And you've talked about this a little bit, but you didn't name them. So this is cool. Yeah. Question two, what are your two top values? And I feel like I may know them. Yes. Um, my core values, which always, that always comes back to these whenever we do this activity is making a difference and integrity. I feel yeah. very strongly yeah. about integrity. Yeah. So they're yeah. still the same. Yeah. They are yeah. still the same. And to me, I think what's really important is integrity looks different for everyone. Mm. For me, and every time I say this, I think of the Elvis Dumbledore quote <laughs> <laughs> is it's about making a choice in the moment that is the right choice and not the easy choice. And mm. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I I repeat that to myself is Mm. this the right choice or is this the easy choice and I need to really reflect on what's the right choice and no matter how hard that is I'm gonna make that wow I like that that's cool Hmm. all right here's the question I told you before we started that there's a question you're gonna hate (laughs) yeah tell me I'm so so excited (laughs) now so if you're going to have a boxing fight which I know you never will oh vegan vegan (laughs) what would be your walkout song oh my god I would never have a boxing fight I can't even what boxing? So just for your context then, they play a song as you walk towards the ring. It's like your entrance song. Okay. What would it be? Good. Okay. If we're going guide instinct, the first thing that pops in my head is definitely Taylor Swift. I knew it was going to be Taylor Swift. <laughs> Probably Shake It Off. I love Tay-Tay. I love Tay-Tay. So for those listening at home, when we're in lockdown and we would have to go into an online meeting, <laughs> Perry would put that song on while we're waiting for everyone to arrive in the meeting, like every day. I don't know if Perry knows any other songs. I got, I got a lot of feedback on my song choices and I started to diversify but it was still things like um like very uplifting so they were like can we just play something like less energetic (laughs) but i just don't have it in me (laughs) that's all right you can have that as your walkout song that's fine we know you're not gonna have a fight (laughs) definitely not i honestly i couldn't even watch boxing on the television i just hate watching people hurt each other yeah yeah i don't get it so my my husband wanted me to watch a documentary the other day on conor mcgregor and i had to turn every Uh, time it came on with like some kind of fight thing i was like this is just well you'll be happy to know i'm not sparring anymore thank god because you know how much anxiety that brought me (laughs) i was like if you come to work and you've got a black eye i can't cope (laughs) all right question four if you could collaborate with anyone in the field Mm. dead or alive who would it be Oh, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm such a big fan of Bruce Perry. Yeah. So I would just love to pick his brains. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I knew it was going to be him. Yeah. <laughs> love him. And the last question I have is if you could make one recommendation that anyone can do towards healing, what would it be? First thing that came to my head, connection. Yeah. Yeah. It really yeah, is connection. Sure. Connection is everything. Um, and there are so many things within that. Obviously, it has to be safe connection. Um, it has to be consistent connection. It's so, yeah, so many parts, but it's what the world needs more of. The world just needs people to, you know, as everyone talks about all these years, look up from their phone, mm. um, look at people, communicate with people, actively engage with people and just, yeah, show kindness. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because yeah, I said before, the, the thing that goes through my head the most on any given day is that question around integrity. The next thing that goes through my head most whenever I'm trying to make a decision is, is this the kind way mm. to go? Like, and that, I think people sometimes misunderstand that because because to me, being kind is also being really clear oh, and really direct sure. and being yeah. really honest. Yeah. Um, but is this the kind thing to do? And if you're showing kindness, then it's probably the right one to go with. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think just connection, just building connection and being there for the people around you and yeah, doing whatever you can to show them care. Love that, Perry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been Absolute great to have you here. Pleasure. Now you're going to make me want to work with you again, Vegan Vegan. <laughs> I know. I'm going to start approaching you to school now. <laughs> Look, I don't know if I'll come back into the school, but you never know. <laughs> never know your luck. I am an optimist. <laughs> yeah, she's going to dream it now. <laughs> <laughs> and it will happen. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, wonderful listeners, for making it right to the end of the podcast. We appreciate you. If you like what you hear, feel free to subscribe, give us a rating. 
We'll be dropping a new episode roughly once per fortnight, so you can stay tuned for the next one. Thank you.